kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Morris speaking here. You're listening to episode 106 of Love That Album Podcast. Sorry if you're missing Joe's introduction. I've given her this episode off. She'll be back for episode 107 with her mellifluous tones to introduce the show. But episode 106 is December of 2017. Chag Sameach, Happy Kwanzaa, Merry Christmas, and air your Festivus grievances. Uh, it's that time of year where I like to do what I call favorite first-time listens of the year. I used to call these episodes Shooting the Shit, but I'd like to make Love That Album a more family-friendly environment. So I will not be calling this show Shooting the Shit, okay? No Shooting the Shit. Uh, this is just favorite first-time listens of 2017. And the idea behind the program is just to ask a number of previous presenters and very knowledgeable and very erudite previous co-hosts to come on and just talk about some albums that they dug this year. Some of them might be albums that were released in 2017, and some of the albums might just be things that they heard for the first time in 2017. All of the music will be presented for your oral pleasure. Hope that there'll be something amongst that lot, and it's going to be very, very diverse, I assure you. There might be some things in there that you think, I need to follow up on that in 2018. That just sounds a treat. So the people who I've gone and asked to join me are, first of all, Billy Pinnell, previous presenter of the EONFM and Triple M album show on a Sunday night, and really the man who shaped a lot of my musical tastes and certainly a lot of the diversity that I like to hope that I have in my musical listening. Ian McFarlane, the man who wrote the wonderful Australian Encyclopedia of Australian Rock and Pop, the second edition, which came out this year and is a magnificent read. Ian returns to talk about the five albums that he really dug the most this year. Some really interesting choices there. Thirdly, I welcome back to the show uh, for the first time, I think, in about a year. Pat Monahan, the proprietor of Rocksteady Records, but a man of incredible taste, and he has put me onto so much stuff just chatting over the counter. And finally, I speak to rock journalist Jeff Jenkins. I actually drove around to his place for our conversation on what was possibly the wettest day in Melbourne of uh, 2017. And you wouldn't know that it was one of the first days of summer. I think it was the second day of summer that I went round to his place to have our conversation. But I'm prepared to brave all sorts of weather to bring you all sorts of interesting musical talk. And Jeff brought the thunder, maybe not literally, but certainly metaphorically, with his picks for 2017. So a really fantastic set of conversations coming up 
on the rest of this episode. On episode 107 of Love That Album Podcast, I'll be joined by my good friend and cohort from the See Here podcast, Tim Merrill, and I'll also be joined by regular contributor to Love That Album and also host of Love That Album, the compilation edition, Mr. Eric Reanimator, and we'll be talking about our favorite first-time listens of 2017. So two chock-a-block programs here for you to orally consume in December of 2017. I don't believe that Eric will be doing a special compilation edition for this month, but uh, I might be wrong. Who knows? Just keep your eyes on the Facebook page or subscribe to the show at iTunes and it'll just automatically drop into your podcasting program of choice. Uh, Anyway, enough of me rambling on and we'll just get straight on with the chats that I had with these wonderful musical types and I'll come back at the end of the program just to fill you in a little bit more about episode 107. Let's go on with the show. We hope you're enjoying the show. You can get previous episodes at either lovethatalbum.podbean.com or lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or search for Love That Album in the iTunes store. If you want to get in contact, please email Morris at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash lovethatalbum and start a music-related discussion. Hello, goodbye. We are all here today, all together now, to give you all the best. Take it away. Sam Wiles presents Paul or Nothing, the place to get all your Paul McCartney all of the time. Following on from his hit Tom Waits podcast, Down in the Hole, come join Sam as he reviews Paul McCartney's entire life, discography, filmography and geek history after the titanic breakup of the Beatles in 1970. You may have heard of them. Check out the extensive range of interviews with all manner of McCartney fans, scholars and collaborators. And yeah, for those of you still not convinced, Morris is even on an episode. Find us on iTunes and all good podcast apps by tapping in Paul or Nothing and clicking the subscribe button. For more information on the show and Mackie himself, follow us on Twitter at McCartneyPod, Drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. And if that's not enough, you can even check out the sister blog for even more Paul at www.paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Peace and love, peace and love. Welcome back to this year-end episode of Love That Album Podcast. And on the other end of a phone connection, I have a man who really has shaped the way how I learnt to love music for many, many years. He's been a guest on Love That Album, but not for quite a long time. So I'm welcoming him in back to the show, Mr. Billy Pinnell. Good evening to you, Bill. G'day, Morris. Thank nice you so to talk much. to you. Thank you so much for joining us. It's uh, wonderful and exciting to have you on. All right. And um, I know that I'm probably not going to be the only person to be asking you about your favorite recordings of the year, but I'm hoping that maybe I'm the first. So we're getting the experience. <laughs> okay. No, it's, 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 it's a nice task to, uh, to undertake. And it, it's, it's a tough one because you've got to leave a lot out that, because there's a lot of music that you love and because I know you have a wide taste in, um, in music. But look, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. And I'll begin with um, a girl who I probably heard last year, but it, 
took me a while to really understand what she was all about. In fact, the, the first album I heard, her name is Casey Moyer, M-O-I-R. She's from Sweden. And she released an album maybe a couple of years ago called Rabbit Hole by the Casey Moyer Band. bass and drums and she sings and, uh, and for a while I found the music almost impenetrable and, but there was something that kept drawing me back to it and I, I remember it was a lot like when I first heard the first two Captain Beefheart records I knew something really exciting was going on but I was blown if I knew what it was but I just kept at it and listened whenever I could and now they're two of my favourite records or well, it's a bit like the Casey Moy band has been for me for this year and Rabbit Hole, which has got like an Alice in Wonderland connotation, it was a bit like going down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And um, because the music's so, so weird, and she's—I've never heard another singer like you, you would have to call the music jazz because there's a lot of improvisation, a lot of vocal improvisation. And in trying to explain to your listeners, they need to listen themselves. But she's a cross between maybe Blossom Deary and Cleo Lane. She's she's got wow. um, a, a high voice. And she fuses all these wordless vocals with the music sometimes. So they're, they're, they're more, rather than songs, they're sort of like musical explorations. And apart from singing words, there's bird calls, there's scatting, there's grunts, there's groaning. <laughs> it's quite extraordinary. So she's but really look, using it, her voice as an instrument. Well, yeah, she, she is. But it, it's still a, a vocal sound. And she, and it's it's hard to explain. You have to listen to it. But the album's called Rabbit Hole. Eight songs, lots and lots of improvisation, and just something that's that's quite unusual. But I persevered, and now it'll be remain as I think one one of my favourite albums, not of this year, but pro- probably for a long while to come. And then not long after that, I get another album, or I notice another album with her on. And this time it's a duo called Mother Jack. And that these are much more accessible songs. Child soldiers fighting wars Died to kill for someone's cause Innocence is thrown away Replaced by guns and foul plays Weapons heavy in their hands Way down by the light they share And the explorations were on, on the first album. And this is her and a bloke called Johan Moyer. Now, I don't know whether he's uncle, brother, husband, father. Mm-hmm. He plays double bass and contributes some vocals. She sings, plays drums, 
and a glockenspiel. That's it. Wow. That's our instrumentation. And again, it's so interesting to hear a voice like this that's doing material that, that's, that's a bit quirky, but not, not, not as inaccessible as the stuff on, um, on Rabbit Hole. And I'm wondering if there are any of your listeners will let you know whether they've ever toured here, because the, the name was vaguely familiar to me, the Casey Moyer Band. But look, it's someone I would suggest to people that don't like experimenting with jazz music. It's a bit out there, but it's it's not it's not easy to get into. And, and you know, if you like Cecil Taylor, or if you like Keith Jarrett, or some of the piano players that, that that took the music out, you know, to outer space somewhere. Well, then these are worth listening. And uh, the second one, as I say, called um, just called. Uh, Mother Jack, or actually the album's called Shout Until Our Lovers Are Blue, but if you just check the Mother Jack album with, with Casey Moyer, and I'll be interested to see what sort of feedback you get. And another jazz album that I really liked, for, uh, for similar reasons, in that the lineup is quite different. There's a guitar and two saxophone players, one um, who plays a flute oh. at all, no rhythm section, called Antelodic. plays a guy called Robbie Melville who's been recording in Australia for quite some time and he's got he's got a band called Clever Horse and I'm, I'm thinking that Gideon Brazil and Monty McKenzie who are his two mates on on this album are, are part of a bigger group called uh, um, Clever Horse but the combination of the, of, of the two reed players and the guitar really works it's in, interesting music it's enjoyable listening uh, it's challenging in, in, in some ways, but very, very satisfying to me. All original compositions, uh, mostly by Robbie Melville, a couple of co-writes with some other musician mates, and a version of um, a wonderful arrangement of Joni Mitchell's Blue. Mm. And they've also played a bit uh, in Melbourne. They did some shows this year. I'm not sure where they played now, I can't recall, but I did see them playing around about June of this year. So again, your listeners might be familiar with Antelotic. Um, it's not as challenging as the Casey Moyer band, but it's music that I really love to listen to because of all the chances that musicians like that are prepared to take. And that is a very unusual lineup, you must admit. Guitar and, and saxophone and flute. And the album's called Quiet Sufficient. That's Q-U-I-E-T, Quiet Sufficient. Okay. Uh, maybe their first album, because I'll say they usually play in a, in a larger group, but this is this is a splinter group and something that I'm hoping your listeners will enjoy. Uh, another album that's nothing like the first two uh, we spoke about is by a group called the Davidson Brothers, and they play bluegrass music. They've been around probably since the late 90s, Lockie and Hamish. I thought I'd be further down the line 30 years is a long time I've got no house to call my home I can't help it 
If I feel alone If you ask me All you need is music And a little red wine To have a good time Nothing else matters in the long run And their multi-string instrument players They can play dobro, mandolin guitar, just about anything that's, that's acoustic. They sing in harmony, and they've got a new album now called All You Need Is Music, and it's in two separate pieces. There's an acoustic section, so half the album is, is bluegrass, done acoustically, and the other half of the album is, well, I guess you'd call it country rock, but not too much of the rock and not enough of the country. It, it, it just fits uh, quite comfortably. The songs are really strong. We recorded it in Nashville with some local musicians, and I'm a huge fan of a bluegrass band called the Dillards, who I've loved for a long time, and they reminded me very much of the Dillards in their great harmony singing and the use of all the different instruments just for the right sort of song. So they planned the record beautifully, and because they've been doing their thing for quite a few years now, they, they know what they're doing. And uh, All You Need Is Music, again, is another one of my favourite sound recordings from this year. And there's a couple that I've returned to consistently right from maybe January or February of this year. One's a never-before-released live Steely Dan album. named after a Duke Ellington composition that Steely Dan recorded on Pretzelogical East St. Louis Toodaloo. And just to explain, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan, uh, who'd retired Steely Dan from live performing in 1974 to concentrate on writing and recording, reformed in 1993, long time, for a 30-day US tour with a lineup that featured Peter Erskine, who was in Weather Report and of course played with Miles Davis, a horn section consisting of three sax players, that included Cornelius Bumpus, who'd played with the Doobie Brothers. Uh, the guitar player was Drew Zing, who'd worked a lot with them before, with Boz Skaggs and Ricky Lee Jones, and had been in Donald Fagan's New York Rock and Soul Review. Uh, one of the 30 dates that took place was at uh, a 20,000 capacity amphitheater in Missouri, of all places. On September the 1st, 1993, the entire concert recorded live for an FM broadcast. And it's now officially released on two CDs, but it was done, like, fairly quietly. I, I never saw any reviews for it, because I'm such a, a fan of Steely Dan's music. One of my mates let me know that this album was out, and I went and got it at uh, Basement Discs, and I've been playing that quite a lot over these 12 months. And there's a lot of uh, spoken interplay between the two musicians. It must have been just heartbreaking for Walter Becker's family and for Donald Fagan. They were mates for 50 years, and so to lose someone like that after he'd been ill for... Uh, some time apparently would, would have been a, um, a terrible blow but Steely Dan of course still live and they're touring now with, without their founder member and the repertoire has got songs that people will be uh, familiar with uh, My Old School which they've recorded uh, a lot on, on different live recordings some of the songs are from Donald Fagan's solo album 
from Nightbird. Is it Nightbird or Nightlife? I've forgotten there. Nightbird. Uh, night, li- nightlife, I think. I That's think right, yeah. Nightlife, yeah. And there's a couple from one of Donald Fagan's solo albums too. But the playing's great. The band are great. So it's called the St. Louis Toodaloo, which I got mine at basement too, so they probably have some others there. Now, an album done in similar fashion, which I didn't know anything about, again, until one of my mates came up and said, listen, there's a, and I've got probably a dozen live Warman Brothers albums, which I'm sure you have too, but this one I'd never heard of before. It was called Live from A&R Studios. late last year or early this year it was uh, recorded uh, late August 1971 and it was recorded at A&R Studios in New, uh, in New York City uh, for a live FM radio broadcast but the audience were it were invited fans so there must have been a fan club set up or somehow or other in 1971 the band's management were able to invite enough people that were big early fans of the band to attend this concert so it's probably one of the smallest crowds they played for after the Fillmore albums made them superstars and what what's um, ironic and rather tragic about it is that uh, two months later on the 29th of October that same year Dwayne Orman was killed so it could be the last recorded live performance the band ever did and again, the repertoire is similar to the stuff that's on uh, the live Fillmore album, Stage for Blues, Trouble No More, Done Somebody Wrong, Memory of Elizabeth Reed, uh, Stormy Monday. But they do a medley of a couple of their own songs, a song called Soul Serenade, mm. that was recorded by King Curtis. And King Curtis had died not long before this was recorded. And Dwayne says some, some really beautiful things about King Curtis and how much his music meant to all the members of the band before they played this beautiful version of, um, of Soul Serenade. And the thing I liked about it so much was they would have played all these songs probably for the last two years because that was their regular repertoire. But they've changed little bits in there. So you're not just hearing a carbon copy of the music that was on the Fillmore albums. And there's little things that both Dwayne and Dickie Betts do that were different to other stuff. Greg's singing in, in top form. So I would suggest anyone that loves the Orman Brothers, I've got this one from Basement Discs too. Another one that I only got probably two or three weeks ago, so it's one of my newer most played album so far is David Gilmore's Live at Pompeii. So, so you think you can tell Heaven from hell Blue sky from pain Can you tell a green field From a cold steel rail A smile from a veil Did they get you to trade? Your heroes for ghosts, hot ashes for trees. Which I bought on a CD and a, and a DVD, and it documents Gilmore's concert last year at the Pompeii Amphitheatre, 
which was the first public performance at the venue since 79 AD when a mob called the uh, Gladiators headlined. And hopefully uh, for them, the Gladiators didn't get their fingers down because in those days, if you did, you never got out of there alive. Right. But that was bad luck for the Gladiators. Anyhow, um, it's also 40 years since Pink Floyd performed there, but when they performed for a documentary, there was no audience there beyond the film crew. So this is the first time there's been an actual audience at the Pompeii uh, Amphitheatre. Um, the selections include songs from Gilmore's current album called Rattle That Lock. There's some great songs on the album that he does live. And there's a number of, of Pink Floyd classics as well. And some he doesn't perform a lot. Now, one of them is the instrumental one of these days that I think was on metal. On, on one of, it was an album before Dark Side of the Moon. There's lots of Dark Side of the Moon songs, including Great Dig in the Sky. Now, that would be a very difficult song to do because... On Dark Side of the Moon, it's also got um, a wordless vocal from Claire Torrey, who to wails and, and just does this magnificent solo performance of singing wordless tunes around what is quite an incredible song. So to, to hear the current band doing the great gig in the sky is an experience. And what he does, he was very, very close, not, not just to Sid Barrett, but to Richard Wright as well, our very close friends. And there's a song called The Blue, which I think might be on his Rattlin Lock record, which is a tribute to, uh, to Richard Wright. And his guitar playing on that is absolutely extraordinary. In fact, I can't recall him sounding like that on any other record I've got of David Gilmore's. It's just something that he pulled out from somewhere. And the track that follows that uh, pretty close is is, uh, is Wish You Were Here. Traditionally a song about Sid Barrett that I, I'm pretty sure is now dedicated to Richard Wright as well. Mm. It's, it's a two CD set. He does another version, he's done it all of Shine On Your Crazy Diamond, which has got to be one of the greatest love songs ever written. And he does that magnificently and finishes off with Comfortably Numb. So if you like the music of Pink Floyd and you love the music of David Gilmore, he's just got that distinctive tone in his guitar. You can pick him anywhere. And right at the beginning, as soon as you hear the first guitar notes come through, you know it's one of the greatest guitar players ever and one of the greatest songwriters. So that's also a, a, a much-listened-to record. And the video is quite extraordinary that... There's one part where the moon is going down over Mount Vesuvius, and it's just uh, the sun, not the moon, the sun, and it's an absolutely extraordinary sight. So it must have been inspiring for everyone that was there, for the band, for the musicians, for everyone. It certainly was for me watching it. It was just magnificent. And I've kept my most played artist to last. It's another girl. Her name's Tilly Vickers Willis. She was sixteen summers and winters old. A burnt out taste formed a different mode. With eyes that devoured and icy lips, a trail of smoke and sweeping hips, she found her light underwater where she couldn't even breathe. And don't know why hasn't recorded anything that's released except on SoundCloud and she was the music was introduced to me late last year when she was 16 she'd be 17 now and her music is extraordinary for, for someone of, of that age she I don't know she just seems to, to have a mind and an intelligence well beyond anybody of, of that age she's got by the words in her song, she's got an extraordinary understanding of the, the human spirit. I'll, I'll give you an example. 
The first song I heard of hers is a song called Underwater Anthem. And it could be about the death of a mate of hers or maybe a student who was bullied and took her own life. But she doesn't give the game away in her songs. Each song that she's recorded for a soundcloud that I've heard, it's oblique and cryptic enough for you not to completely understand what it's all about. You've got to work at it like a lot of the great songwriters ever. To do that at such a young age is, is extraordinary. Her voice is beautiful, it's haunting. And there's a line in the song that I just want to highlight for your listeners. She's talking about, and what she's saying is, don't judge a book by its cover. But she says, and she's talking about the, the girl in the song, you can describe her as dramatic, but don't think she's just loud. There is a beautiful soul hidden there to be found. That's profound songwriting for a 16-year-old. It's, it's and she records beautiful. all the stuff at home. Every song's got a different feel. Piano on one, acoustic guitar and piano on another, uh, acoustic guitar and percussion on another one, just guitar on another. So there's about half a dozen songs she's recorded now. One was inspired, the, the song's called The Last Rain. The inspiration for that song was a Hebrew word that means last rain. So her knowledge of what she wants to do is profound. For a young woman, she'd be, maybe she'd be 17 now. And that's my most listened to music for the entire year. And she's released, as, as I say, nothing on CD or that I know of. She just keeps putting songs up on, um, on SoundCloud so they're easy to access. And she's somebody very special, and I watch with tremendous interest and, and follow her career as closely as I can just to see what will eventuate as she moves on. But at the moment, she's one of the most extraordinary young writers and uh, performers I've heard in a long time. Isn't that a magnificent thing, how you've got this ability to be able to put music up on a platform like SoundCloud? I mean, you know, I guess there are people who have some opposition in, in some ways but um, I think just the fact that you're able to discover a local musician she's 17 years old and is making this extraordinary music yeah. and we can be here and talk and, and really like you know 30 years ago this would not have been able to uh, to occur I guess it's no, I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's right she would have been sending stuff out maybe to community stations hoping they'd play it yeah. but now, now there's an avenue for that sort of music does, does your son Max is a brilliant musician songwriter does he put stuff up on SoundCloud He's He's put a couple of things, but not in a long time. He's been spending a good chunk of this year trying to get uh, film work done. Uh, he'll get back to putting up his own compositions. But, but there I is have... an avenue there for him, isn't there? If, if that's what he chooses to do. That's, it is a wonderful yeah. uh, uh, situation where that wasn't possible. Maybe, I don't know how long SoundCloud's been going, but anybody can put it up there now, can't they? Just let some people know, look, check me out on SoundCloud. It won't cost anything, and off you go. And look, for people that... That, um, that, that do flirt with SoundCloud, I, I, I urge you to listen to Tilly Vickers Willis' music. Mm-hmm. That's well, it, mate. Well, that's that's pretty uh, quite exhaustive <laughs> and, and, and very diverse there. I'm, I'm certainly very keen to check out some of these recordings that you mentioned. I was just sort of thinking, when you're coming back to the Allman Brothers, you're talking about that live, live at A&R Studios, I'm pretty sure that the Soul Serenade version that you mentioned there, they released many years ago on their four-CD box set, Dreams. There was a live version. Oh, it could, be, could be right. There was a lot of stuff. That wasn't released before on that, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they—they actually were talking about King Curtis on, oh, on that. I, I think um, like Greg Orman says, "Oh, it's so sad about him, man. That cat put out some great stuff." And yeah, well, they say similar things on on this recording. So, but uh, maybe they use a recording off this one on the on the Dreams box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure of that. Anyways, I'm I'm really keen to check out the acts that I don't know. And your when you mentioned Casey Moyer at the start, and you sort of made the comparison. Blossom, dearie. <laughs> 
Holy well, I thought, what a combination. What yeah. a combination. It, it's hard to pigeonhole. You have to listen for yourself. And But if there are people listening to your show, and I'm sure there are, that, that, that don't mind just spending a bit of time trying trying to find the correct key to the to the right lock to get in there and go down the rabbit hole. I'm, I'm sure that's why she's not sure, but I'm assuming she's called the album Rabbit Hole because it's a bit of a challenge, like it was to the who went down the rabbit hole, which is the bunny or the Mad Hatter. I've forgotten now, but uh, yeah, someone did. Didn't they? It a, yeah, I think it was the bunny. I don't know. So, yeah, I think it was. Oh, too. I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. So, and uh, you also made a Captain Beefheart comparison, or was that just more? Oh, only only that I found him impenetrable. Also, when 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 I first listened to to Safer's Milk and and Trap Mask Replica, I didn't get it for a while. I knew, I knew he sounded like Howling Wolf, and I knew the music was sort of bluesy and jazzy, but it was all over the joint. And mm. But there was something there that kept getting me to listen to it more. And what saved me from uh, lifelong frustration was it was eventually released on a CD because I bought my copies early on on LP. So there wasn't always, it wasn't always accessible for me to be able just to stick it on, you know, at my office or in the car or somewhere. But a few years back when it was available on a CD, I got one and, and just discovered so many precious items in there that maybe I hadn't listened closely enough before. That was a comparison that it, it seemed to be impenetrable, but after a few listens or a lot of listens, it became something that I really enjoyed listening to and have ever since. Mm. And that's a bit like the Casey Moy band for me. Right. Well, as I said, definitely going to pursue that. Bill, thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Oh, thank you, Morris. Now, for um, listeners out there who uh, want to hear more of Bill, he has has a, a great podcast, which is really, I've got to say, is taking me back. I, I play it on a Sunday night whenever a new one comes out, so I can just sort of recall what it was like listening to uh, the album show back in the day. Oh, but, good on you, mate. But, but uh, your your current podcasting venture is called The Music Show. And, yeah, uh, Billy Pennell, The Music Show. So you're still going to go ahead with that into uh, Oh, yeah, there's another one. Yeah, I did put one up about three weeks ago, and I'm working on another one now. Oh, yeah, it'll, it'll continue. It's something That's I love to do. It's not a commercial proposition. It's just... Just me expressing myself and having, you know, people that my mates like yourself um, talk to me about it. It's great. I love it. Well, for anyone who grew up in Melbourne listening to you on the album show, if you don't know about it, go back and listen to every episode in the archives. There's maybe about 20 or so, I think by now. Definitely all worth your while. And just listen to all the suggestions that Bill has for you to uh, search out. Including, I'm a big fan of your uh, album in the attic suggestion. I think we were speaking <laughs> last we were speaking last week about uh, Lambert Hendrick and Pavan yes album so uh, yeah, who invented a style of singing mm, yeah absolutely yeah they're just things that I, I I rarely would play on the radio and I it, they're very close to me those records because sometimes I would play those and never let anybody hear them they were just too precious mm. and but after a while, you, you, you don't remain as selfish as you used to once, and so now I'm sharing with people who listen. But that, that's a thrill for me to do that as well, because these are albums that mean a lot to me. Yeah. I have a very strong emotional and spiritual connection to that music, the ones that I nominate as my album from the attic, so it's... I'm allowing someone to have a peek into stuff that, you know, that really means a lot to me. Fantastic. All right, well, once again, thanks very much, Bill, and we'll be back in a moment after this break. Thanks, Morris. Hello, my name is Ethan Uslin, and I'd like to tell you about my brand new podcast called The Carolina Shout. It's about old-timey American piano music like ragtime and early jazz and swing. And what makes the podcast unique is that I'm the piano player, and in between the songs I add little commentary and stories, kind of like a short, informal, private concert just for you. 
And I'll even have special guests, like uh, in one of the episodes, I'll have the world's foremost authority on pickles. So if you're interested in a podcast about rip-roaring American piano music that's funny, quirky, a little educational, but not too much, please subscribe to the Carolina Shout. Thanks, listeners. Welcome back to the end of year special of Love That Album. This is one of my favorite times of the year podcasting because I get to speak to people about what their favorite first time listens of the year were. And I'm mega excited because I have with me on the phone a man who has the answers to all these questions. He'll explain to you the difference between Cold Joy and Vance Joy. Do you want to know why Ross is the boss instead of Bruce? You don't remember who Carvis Jute is? Do you need to know what the difference is between Tamam Shut and the Sunsets? Secret hit. Nothing. This man will tell you all of those factoids and more. His name is Ian McFarlane. It was my huge honor to have him earlier on this year on the podcast talking about Died Pretty and about a book that he had gone and updated for the first time, I think, in 18 years or something like that. The book is called The Encyclopedia of Australian Rock and Pop, and the man on the other end of a phone line is Ian McFarlane. Good evening to you, Ian. Thanks so much for joining us. G'day, Morris. Yeah, look, fantastic. Overjoyed to be on the line with you. And, and, <laughs> and thanks for the I speak at the truth. It's been a wonderful year for music and really just to have you come on and talk about your encyclopedia this year, which a lot of people, myself included, have been waiting to see in print again. And I have my lovely shiny copy here and I'm always sort of <laughs> opening it up and just flipping it and write, like, okay, what will I read about today? Okay. So, you know, sometimes you want to know about an artist. Sometimes you just think, I don't know. Wow. Who's that? Okay. Let's just give a bit of a read. That wonderful sort of book. Listeners, if you want to go back to, I think, the June episode. I think it was that we recorded. Then you can hear. Was it from, June? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think so. Anyway, just yeah. you know, fl- flip through the year of episodes if you haven't caught that one and hear the wonderful conversation that we had both about the Encyclopedia of Australian Rock and Pop and also you know just a lot of other favourite facts about uh, Australian musicians over the history of rock and roll and also we did a rather in-depth discussion about Died Pretty and. I didn't know we could talk or I could talk so much about one album, but there you go. That, that's, that's the passion. Yeah, you kind of instill, you know, you bring to the fore. <laughs> that's the whole purpose of this show. I want people who are passionate. And really, you'd be surprised at what you think you might only be able to talk five minutes. You can extend for an hour and a half. So what I have asked you to come on to this show is to talk about your five favorite first time listens of 2017. So, Ian, the floor is yours. Tell us what albums have you dug this year that you've heard for the first time? Thanks so much. Look, it's been a pretty interesting year. There have been a lot of international national albums but you know what I always come back to my favourite Aussie listening and bands and whether it's new stuff I hear and there's a couple of old favourites and a couple of new ones and I've got to tell you my first favourite listen for 2017 was the Sand Pebbles new album Pleasure Map to listening to that okay it's good to hear man oh this you'll be in for a treat i'm telling you it's an absolute magnificent album i think it must be their sixth album i mean these guys have been around for gosh 
tw- it must be coming up for 20, 20 odd years, and they've kind of always flown under the radar, but just spectacular music always. And um, this new album, Pleasure Maps, is, uh, well, I look, being concise, glorious music, hypnotic grooves, and a very kind of deep atmosphere and lots of reverberations of all kinds of sounds. They're the kind of band that have so many different members who like different sounds, but it all congeals and congests and gels in a specific Sam Pebbles sound. But, I mean, some of the songs on this album, you can pick their influences. Like, the the lead-off track is called Desire Lines, and it's straight up and down like the German band Neu. Without being slavishly copying, they've put their interpretation on that kind of Neu pulse. And then there's something like um, I Heard the Owl Call Out My Name, which is that very dreamy psych pop which they get into. Uh, Lovers Love sounds like, to me, Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers. Oh, wow. Um, yes. Yeah. Built Wine is kind of like the Soft Boys meets Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> this is it's a just, very diverse album, isn't it? It's a very diverse album, and they've always been diverse. Another Wish sounds to me like the Fleet Foxes. I hear all these different influences in their sound, but you can pick it's the Sand Pebbles. And they do um, a nine-minute version of Oh Sweet Nothing by um, the Velvet Underground from from the Loaded album originally and it's just this nine minutes of VU swoop and glide I mean it's just beautiful to me I keep coming back to this thing there's all these influences but honestly the whole is greater than the sum of the parts that's what I like about the Sand Pebbles and they never cease to to amaze me and uh, they're just a fun band and the second album is the Underground Lovers. They've made a, a bit of a comeback. Well, not so much a comeback. They reformed again a couple of years ago. I think this is their third album in since they reformed. This is called Staring at You, Staring at Me. album tracks like St Kilda Regret, Every Sign, Seen It All, I mean just beautiful melodies. The Lovers always had that layered kind of mix of dream pop and jangle pop and it kind of once again they've just got such a wide range of inspiration and I hear elements of the go-betweens, the Velvet Underground, um, My Bloody Valentine, Cocteau Twins, you know the songs and the melodies are strong enough though and forthright enough for the Lovers to kind of once again, I, I keep coming back to this thing. They emerge whole and, and perhaps, I don't know, righteous or something. But I'm not, I don't, not sure I'm always convinced by the Underground Lovers' vocals. They always seem to be, to me, to be slightly off the mark for such luxuriant music. But that's only a kind of minor quibble. Um, but once again, the highlight for me is an eight-minute fuzzy trance epic called Glamnesia. <laughs> I think I wrote it. I think I wrote at the time. I said, like liquid lights. Slipping and sliding as harmonia jams with the velvet. (laughs) If that's any clue. (laughs) Now, there's a bit of a theme emerging for my third favourite album of the year. It's the Kilby Kennedy album called Glow and Fade. Once I kept my mind so pure You told me how 
sick I was that you had the cure. Once I slept in your arms, praying all your prayers and singing all your songs. Now this is Martin Kennedy from All India Radio and Steve Kilbury from The Church. And this is their fifth studio album. I mean, everyone knows Steve Kilby, obviously, but he, they teamed up a few years ago um, as a duo. Um, this is their fifth album. Um, and here's the theme. Here's the recurring theme, uh, Maurice. Dreamy space psych with ambient textures. Atmospheric, floating. Once again, this is my... <laughs> I love coming up with these descriptions. This is, this is a good one. Like a celestial ocean in fluid hyperdrive. <laughs> I'm, I await your first novel, Ian. <laughs> yes, I've got to do something like that. No, I, lo- I love a good, uh, I love a good, um, you know, uh, turn of phrase or uh, a metaphor or something like that. But uh, anyway, but it's look to me, um, they were on a very science fiction kind of kick. It has to me once again elements of like Tangerine Dream from their album Alpha Centauri from the early seventies. Um, and they've got um, uh, the, the cover artist from a very famous sci-fi um, cover artist by a guy called Bruce Pennington. He um, drew a lot of, um, of sci-fi covers from the early 70s. Uh, my favourite is a Robert Heinlein novel called The Green Brain, if anyone's into um, sci-fi novels. It's a very, um, very uh, interesting um, cover art detail. So they got, they actually contacted this this artist Bruce Pennington and got him to do their um, cover Um, and there's tracks like Blow and Fade, uh, Levitate and once again I'm a sucker for for an art rock epic and this time it's a 16 minute track called The The Game Never Changes and funnily enough they also do an 8 minute ambient mix of that track so you're in for a, a real trip on, on that album. That's the Kilby Kennedy album, Glow and Fade. So that's the recurring <laughs> theme is these lengthier than lengthy tunes on every one of these albums. <laughs> I know. It's, it, look, for some reason, these, these are the albums that have captivated me and they do have very similar themes, musical themes, this dreamy psych pop um, kind of atmospheric, you know, space psych sort of thing. And uh, that'll lead into my fifth album, but... For, the, for my fourth album, Morris, is uh, a Melbourne band called the a young Melbourne band called the Teske Brothers. I'm feeling blue. How about yourself? I got a strange feeling. Oh, Half yes, mile very nice. Harvest. Have you heard that name? Uh, I've heard a little bit of the Teskey Brothers, I think, on Triple R, and I've certainly walked yes. into Basement Disc. They've been playing it a lot, so yes. Oh, yes. This is incredible. This young suburban band channeling Memphis Soul in the manner of Booker T and the MGs backing Otis Redding. Yes. I mean, there's there's two brothers, right? And the lead singer, I just what's his name? I'll have to check on the cover. Uh, the lead singer's name is... Josh Teske, 
Oh, he's got the most incredible, soulful voice. And, like, he's just this young dude from, from Ringwood or somewhere like that. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure where they're from, you know. How do these guys so sound so authentically soulful? I mean, I've seen them, I've seen them at gigs and just amazing. And they don't overplay, um, you know, they lock into the groove, they've got that soul horns. Oh, yeah, throw in a touch of Boz Skaggs' Loan Me a Dime and oh, you're kind of getting nice. close to what they achieve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously, they play like that. I mean, how, how they... I think they must have plundered their, their parents' soul and, and R&B collections from the 60s and 70s, but well, just beautiful playing. Well, that's possibly <laughs> another theme amongst... I mean, maybe not Kilby Kennedy because they've been around long enough, but, but yes. maybe the Sand Pebbles, certainly, they would have raided their parents' record collections and heard their copies oh, of... Totally. Uh, Heard their copies of Nuggets or or uh, any other yes. such site classics or you know yes. or the Pretty Things or exactly whatever, so. Pretty Things or you know uh, another of the Sam Pebbles' favourite bands early in the piece were were the likes of Fairport Convention right. and Jefferson Airplane. I mean you know <laughs> once again though you know young guys when they started listening to that stuff is is quite remarkable. So anyway, look um, the t- for my money the Teskey Brothers um, Half Mile Harvest is, is an absolute beauty and and once again. The, the most incredible track is the 12-minute um, uh, final track on the album called Honeymoon. So I'm really into these long tracks this year. I just can't <laughs> believe how good some of these are. Yeah. All right. Now, I have an honourable mention before I get onto my uh, big one for the year is oh, yes. um, the Sunset Strip. And uh, once again, this, this band has been around for a long time. They were, they were one of my favourite um, indie bands that arose out of the kind of uh, Melbourne indie scene, indie psych guitar scene um, from the mid '80s, and they've been on, they've been playing on and off. Well, they haven't played probably 20 odd years, and they recorded some incredibly full-on heavy psych kind of sludge blues on uh, their albums. But this, I haven't heard this one yet, so I haven't even got my copy from Warwick Brown. He he runs Greville Records, and yes, uh, he's the guitar player in Sunset Strip. Oh, really? Um, and yes. Wow, That's nice, right. nice to know that Warwick is uh, out and about and, and playing. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think they're playing, but they've recorded this new album. But the difference is, gone is that heavy psyche blues, and what are they gone for? Cosmic Drift. Yeah. I tell you, <laughs> yeah, they've, they've mellowed. Up, that sounds up Warwick, Sally. <laughs> exactly, exactly. If you, if you, now, can, get, him, if you I, can get him to play anything without singing the Richmond Theme Club song, then that's going to be a good yeah. thing. Oh yes, exactly. Jesus. Oh yeah, he was. Like, oh god, no, he was. He was impossible with after the grand <laughs> final win. <laughs> I, I, I did not there hang around. Go. I did not hang around Greville about uh, late September. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's very passionate, but there, he loves his music and uh, he loves Richmond. But there you go. So anyway, so I'm I'm, I'm yet to hear that Sunstrip Bill album, but I have been told that's what it is. So very diverse. So we've got a you know diverse pick of Aussie uh, local Aussie bands. Here's my big kind of revelation for this year, Morris. It's a German band mm-hmm. by the name of Popel Vu.
they were around in the late 60s to the early 70s, so they were contemporary, or mid-70s, they were contemporaries of all those German cosmish music bands like Neu and Tangerine Dream, Can, you know, they were contemporaries. They were led by a guy called Florian Frick, Right. And he was the first of those German cosmic music guys who had a Moog synthesizer and Mellotron. So in tandem with bands like Tangerine Dream, he was producing this very dreamy, droney, heavy Moog synthesizer-based kind of music. And, um, you know, I've had to backtrack because when I was a teenager in the 70s, I was enthralled, or late 70s, I was enthralled by bands like Tangerine Dream and Kraftwerk and trying to get my head around Can and yep. Noi and all those fabulous bands. And I used to go into this little shop in Cathedral Arcade off Swanson Street called Pipe Import Records. I remember and it was run, Yes, and it was run by a couple of guys. They were actually Czechoslovakian, Daniel Janica and Jeremy Fieberger. And with my meagre pocket money from my part-time job at McDonald's, I would drapes into hype and I would just spend hours just flicking through these racks of, like, classic... I mean, these are classic German albums, you know, Can, Noi, Guru Guru, Thirsty Moon, Tangerine Dream, Kraftwerk. I mean, they had every one of those albums, but they were really expensive because they were imports. So I kind of went for the more accessible bands like Tangerine Dream and Kraftwerk, Jane and Scorpions and all those kind of bands. And I just loved flicking through the racks full of these German albums, which are all legendary these days, but in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, you could still buy them at Pipe Import Records. They had every band you could think of. But the weird thing is, I can't remember ever seeing Popol Vuh, but here's the connection. They did the soundtracks to a couple of Warner Herzog's fantastic movies, Agare, The Wrath of God, oh, and wow. Nosferatu, The Vampire, right? So I've had the soundtrack albums for those two films for a long time, about 10 years, I guess. I just love the Agare, if you, you know, you know the movie when yes, yes. there's those scenes, there's those scenes when the, when the soldiers are dragging the cannons up and down like really, really treacherous mountainous trail, really, really heavy melodron music and pulsing kind of music. That's Popol Vuh. Okay. It's, it's just the most incredible soundtrack. They've done several other theme, uh, soundtracks, but the um, other one that I really like is from Nosferatu, The Vampire. And there was two versions. There was one called On the Way to a Little Way and then another version of the soundtrack called Sonnendesh List. Uh, Son no, Bruder des Schattens, Sonnen des Licht, which translates as Brothers of the Shadow, Sons of the Light. So I just love those soundtracks, but I've never explored any of their other albums. But I also am a big reader of Mojo. I've been reading Mojo for forever, and I always try and find something in the pages to buy or investigate. And they have this section called How to Buy, or the best of... You know, it can be like Warren Zevon or Fairport Convention or Richard Thompson. Anyway, and they had one a few months ago was on Purple Vu, and they picked 10 of the best albums to explore of their oeuvre, right? Yep. And I, I investigated and I found the one that really, it's probably my favourite one. It's called Einsjager und Siebenjager. I hope I've got my German right. <laughs> and basically, yes, basically that translates as Hunter of the One, Hunter of the Seven. So it's Florian Fick, Frick, I should say. He'd given up the synthesizers and the moogs and the heavy keyboard stuff. And it's basically him on piano, 
a guitar player called Daniel Fleischer on acoustic guitar and looped electric guitar and lots of percussion. So there's not much in the way of a, a pulse or rhythm as such, just these enthralling keyboard guitar improvisations. But they're kind of accessible and melodic in that very, very kind of best German cosmic music kind of tradition. And apparently it's basically his interpretations of Japanese and Mayan myths, if that's any clue. Huh. But <laughs> so once again, the, the highlight of this album is the 20-minute title track, uh, which is free-flowing kind of spacey blues mixed with kind of this prog kind of grandeur but the weird thing is there's no restated themes or resolution just this kind of seemingly endless sweep of instrumentation and tones and um, occasional vocalizations from a korean soprano that um, would sing with the group called jong yun so there you go popol vu eins jagger und sieben jagger from 1974 <laughs> That's my big revelation for the year. I like the fact that we got at least one non-2017 album in there. <laughs> so there you go. But interestingly enough, the Popol Vuh discography is vast. But yes, uh, I knew the soundtrack albums. Since reading this article, I've picked up two other albums as well as the Science Jagger and Sieben Jagger. So... You know, it just comes from really loving what they used to call, well, it was Krautrock, wasn't it, what they yes. used to call it, which tends to be seen as a derogatory term these days, but it is what it is. I think Come everything on. sort of comes back, and I don't think yeah. the, the expression Krautrock has been seen as a derogatory term in a long while, at least not within the music In a long while, no. No, so I think it's, I think it's mm. seen as something of high respect. Exactly. I mean, that's why I love this stuff. And I've since gone back and found a lot of those records. I used to just spend hours looking over, you know, you'd take out the covers and you look at all the records and the covers and the gatefolds. So I've managed to pick up over, you know, since collecting, you know, all the likes of Can and Noi and Tangerine Dream and Craftwork and on and on and on. And now I've finally found this other band, Popol Vu. So they're a doozy. They've got such a vast kind of range of, of albums. Not, you know, I don't like everything, but I'm glad I've investigated um, as deeply as I have. So, yeah, I just love that stuff, you know. I mean, Craftwork and Tangerine Dream are the ones that everyone knows, but then up there with Can and Noi and God, I could go on. So anyway, Popol Vu, they're an interesting group. I'm going to have a word with my good friend Tim, who I do the See Here podcast with, and I'm sure, mm. say, I'm sure he'll say, oh yeah, I've been listening to Popol Vu for years. You know, so <laughs> yeah, it'll, that's it'll right. right. Well, he'll know the album. soundtracks too. Oh, 100%. He'll know the soundtrack albums, yeah. 100%. Look, thank you so much, Ian. So in, once again, in case people haven't heard our earlier episode, <clears> if they uh, want to get hold of a copy of the Inside Encyclopedia, how do they do so? The publisher website is www.thirdstonepress, all one word. That's the publishing company, well, that's my publishing company, .com.au. Um, they can order online or, I mean, it's it's available in the likes of readings and I'm sure uh, Warwick might still have some copies down at Greville and, you know, all the, all the usual kind of good record shops and, you know, I, I kind of am connected to 
direct with those. So if anyone wants to order through any of those kind of places. I I think also when we last spoke and I'd asked you the question back then, what was on the horizon for Aztec Records? Because I know that you were helping put together some of the Aztec Records releases and you excited me by telling me that Tamim Shad's Evolution was going to get... I'm, I don't want to spill the beans yet whether it is in my top five of the year, although it may very well be. Oh, uh, but that it's release, a beauty, isn't it? It yeah. is magnificent. The Sunset stuff as well as the uh, Evolution album yes. proper. What a yep. release. So what else is on the horizon? Do you What's have anything, coming up? Do you have anything that you're working on for uh, Aztec? Well, that's right. Well, the next thing um, that Gil has finalised the uh, mastering for and probably should be out very shortly, Gil Matthews runs the label and he does all the mastering. Um, and I help out with the, well, I do the liner notes and I help out with, you know, archives like posters and record labels and, uh, you know, images and covers and stuff like that. So the next one that he'll have out before Christmas is the Company Kane album from 1976 called Dr. Chop. <laughs> Not one yes. I've even been aware of. I, I mean, I know they already had a couple of Company Kane albums out on uh, Aztec already, didn't they? Correct, yes. They had the first album, the original Company Kane album from 1971 called A Product of a Broken Reality. And then the band reformed in 1975-76 for another year and recorded enough material for a second album. So this has been unearthed and that'll be the next release on Aztec. And um, I'm pretty sure Gil's got a few things planned for for next year, but we just have to wait and see what he wants to do. It's funny because I do the liner notes and, you know, help with the tracking and all those sorts of things, but it's kind of like Gil will say, right, I'm working on this project, and then it sort of settles down and nothing happens for a while, and all of a sudden it's, right, we're doing it now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I just wait for Gil to tell me what's on the horizon. I leave all the business side to him. I just like helping out. (laughs) Very good. All right, so I look forward to speaking to you again in 2018 because I still think we have a list of at least another four albums to go through. (laughs) I I know there was was a Lobby Lloyd album, and we're going to do... Yes. Uh, uh, Masters, Masters Apprentice. Yeah, that's I, right. And okay. what else was oh, there? There was I'll a. Um, oh, look, I've got it written down. Yeah, but yeah. it'll. Yeah. No, way. I know there's some good ones. Either way, we're gonna, <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, definitely have you back early 2018 to do a, a full-on album discussion. So um, have a wonderful New Year and wonderful Christmas to you. Yep. And um, same to you, mate. Look forward to speaking to you in 2018. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Love That Album End of Year Favorite Album Special. Hi, I'm Jack. And I'm Campbell. And this is a promo for our podcast, Track by Track, no, no, with no, Campbell and Jack. You're not supposed to say it's a promo. You're just supposed to say like, your favourite things about about the show. You mean like the fact that we discuss albums track by track, ranging from the luscious four-part harmonies of the Beach Boys to the political metal rage of System of the Down? Well, yeah, but that's one way of saying it. Well, as good as that is, Campbell, where can people go to find the show? Well, we're on iTunes, or you can simply just contact us on Facebook under the name Track by Track with Campbell and Jack. Well, I think that wraps up this promo quite nicely. You're not supposed to say it's a promo! Track by Track with Campbell and Jack. Now available for download on iTunes. Welcome back to episode 106 of Love That Album podcast. This episode through, I've been speaking to some of the people who've joined me over the last year or so on previous episodes 
of Love That Album to talk about some great albums. And this is a fellow who I should have had a long time ago on the podcast. I had him back in December of 2016 to speak about the Triffids. And I, I don't know why I haven't had him back this year. I'm a slack bastard. But here we are having him available in December 2017 to talk about his favorite albums of this year, either things that he heard for the first time or new stuff. Mr. Pat Monahan, proprietor of Rocksteady Records. Good evening, Pat. Good day, Morris. How are I'm, you? I'm in good health. How's yourself, sir? I'm very well, thank you. And it's uh, very good to be um, to be back with you. Mm, fantastic. And uh, I'm hoping that early 2018 we get you back for a full album dissection. I'm sure we'll find some great Australian band or otherwise to talk about. But what we're on about tonight is the things that really got you going this year. I'm supposing that there might be new things, but you surprised me. Let's go and enlighten the listeners as to what floated your boat this year. For sure. Um, thank you. And um, um, yeah, I'm honoured to have the opportunity. Lots of really good records uh, released this year that really appealed to me. Mostly uh, new things. Um, didn't spend so much time with reissues or compilations, but lots of Australian artists really impressed. Like uh, the new Sampa the Great album, The Birds and the Benign is really good. I uh, really like the new God Tet album who produced, he's the person who produced the first Sampa the Great album. Uh, there's a Melbourne act who just released their second album. The band's called 3070, and uh, their album is called Elevate. That's really good. Um, Melbourne band Cable Ties released a really good record. A few other things I really I liked a lot, and if it had to come down to it, my top three albums this year would be the fourth album from Sasquatch, would be number three, which is an album called Manual Override. overseas who may not be as familiar with Sasquatch, you want to sort of elaborate a little bit about their background and about the Melbourne soul scene in general? Well, they started, this is their fourth album, they started very much as, as a much larger horn-driven, I guess, soul R&B band. And by the time they hit sort of between their third and their fourth album, they've slimmed down and lost many of the soul R&B trappings and become more more of a, by that I mean like they've lost the horn section by and large and I guess have matured as songwriters and performers and have taken their inspiration from from more classic non-soul R&B sources. And with Manual Override, you can see here, rather, that the, the main songwriter, a guy called Liam McGorry, who's a multi-instrumentalist, and I, I would suggest probably the leader of band, he plays trumpet, guitar, keyboards, and lots of other instruments. But he, if you, if you listen closely, he appears to be taking lots of cues and inspiration rather than imitation from peak period Ray Davies, say, you know, Village Green Preservation, Arthur, and and so on. Those kind of themes kind of 
looking at the country he's been growing up in and relationships between humans, I suppose. It's not a song, it's not an album made up of love songs necessarily, it's more about relationships. Mm-hmm. And that, that would be my, my num, number three album. And they've got, they've got an incredible lead singer, uh, a woman called Ketchy, who's been with the band since the beginning, who well, I saw them launch this album relatively recently. And she is just this fierce, sensual warrior woman out the front of this incredibly accomplished band. Mm-hmm. And uh, the album's called Manual Override. And if you like classic songwriting, that's got, got a lot of depth within sort of classic pop trappings, then so that's a really good record. Nice. And the album that I would call my second favourite album of the year is a third album by a guy called Jim Laurie, who's released an album called Slacker of the Year. Copy paste another hectic day. I woke up late and I'm still so tired. All of my responsibilities turn into casualties Till I get high, I could sleep for days Don't leave your flowers where I lay I'm not coming down from here Ostensibly, it's a song about, I guess, you know, as David McComer of the Triffids once said, here's the 50 millionth song written about unrequited love. And there's an element of that, but that sounds a bit glib. This is beautifully voiced and beautifully set songs, ostensibly about unrequited love. But you can hear echoes of bands like Talk Talk in their kind of laughing stock, Colour of Spring, Spirit of Eden period. You can hear classic Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, possibly Fleetwood Mac around the time of Tusk, but with really keen lyrics by Keen, I think kind of finely honed and very evocative lyrics. Uh, They're probably one of the few bands, uh, this is Jim Laurie's band, who sort of have this kind of really interesting kind of twin guitar sound. They don't sound like Thin Lizzy, but at times they are all Leonard Skinner or anything like that. Mm. But at times they evoke the war on drugs or perhaps Augie March at their most kind of cinematic in terms of arrangements. But um, Jim, who started from, I guess, he used to be in a band called Eagle and the Worm. He was oh, the yes. drummer of Eagle and the Worm. Yeah. Then he made kind of a, I guess, an old country record. And then he moved more towards cinematic guitar pop with his second album, which is called Eons. And then with Slacker of the Year, I think he's kind of really realised his vision. So Slacker of the Year by Jim Laurie is my uh, second favourite album of the year. And my favourite album of the year is by another Australian artist, although I'm pretty certain she was born in New Zealand. We'll claim her as her, and that's okay. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's a precedent there, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) It's the fourth album by Jen Cloer. Disappointments waiting in the wings. Life is what 
think it's come three, maybe four years after her third album, In Blood Memory, which was the album that really kind of saw her going to another level. She's moved even further up a sort of a, a songwriting ladder to, I think, produce what is, is going to be in time considered a classic work of Australian art. Wow. Not, not just music, but it, musically it ranks with the best things I've heard from whether it be, you know, Paul Kelly, Kev Carmody, the go-betweens, the Triffids, bits of Nick Cave. It's interesting that you mentioned those specific artists because here we are in 2017 and it's possibly been a long time since we've had an album that we could call a classic Australian album evoking those names. So um, it's wonderful to see that someone like Jen has come along and can deliver something in what we call the classic Australian sort of style that we love. Yeah, uh, I think the great thing about this record is, well, there's two really good things about it. The songwriting itself, I guess it's fairly obvious, but uh, this description as my own, but actually it belongs to Peter Milton Walsh from The Apartments. Uh, he used to be in The Go-Between, he used to be in The Laughing Clown. Uh, we're having a conversation, and this is what we were talking about this record. And Peter said one of the great things about Jen Cloa's album is that she writes so clear-eyed about love and also about relationships, the relationship that she has with her partner, the relationship that she has with the land she comes from, with the place she lives, with the musician she works with, with the tradition that she draws from, which there's a song on the album that makes reference to the go-betweens and the triffers and so on. There's another song that she writes about the joy and the inspiration she gets, she got from standing side of stage watching the Dirty Three perform. There's another song on the album which is called Regional Echo, which writes, she speaks so clearly about growing up in rural Australia, although it, I, I don't think it's necessarily her life she's describing, but someone in her band's life that she's describing. And it's the other thing and that makes this record so great is that the band do exactly the right things when it comes to performance. Mm -hmm. They know when to lean into a song and kind of drive it along. Also when to go, okay, this vocal or these words just need space. So there's this incredible dynamic on this record between things being very loud and also things just kind of percolating along or things just the band's almost silent and the thing that shines is Jen. So they're the reasons that the Jen, Jen Cloa's fourth album, just called Jen Cloa, which is all it needs to be called. That That's my favourite album for the year. Now, I know that she came into Rocksteady and did a set in the store. I, I'm wondering, did you ever, did you get a chance to actually chat with her about the album? Because I'm fascinated to sort of find out whether it was that she knew what she wanted the band to sound like on these songs, or whether she said, look, I'm, I've come in, I've got these songs, how can you flesh them out? Do you know, did she talk uh, with you about that? Morris, this kind of, this sounds a bit like, uh, I don't know, um, I'm not kind of big up, you know, big up in myself. Jen and I are friends, so we actually talked about books. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, for example, the drummer on this record, Jen Shalakis, has been Jen's drummer for more than a decade. Okay. So I'd say they, you know, when one blinks, the other one doesn't. When one breathes, the other one breathe, doesn't breathe. You know, they, yeah. they know that if someone, if she wiggles her left eyebrow, that you do this. <laughs> also, that 
the guitar player, apart from Jen, Jen Cloer, um, Courtney Barnett is the guitar player on virtually every song. And she and Jen have worked together for a long time, being partners in both Milk Records and, and Life, for, for want of a better way of putting it. Yep. And Bones, who's the bass player, has played in Jen's band for, I think, pretty much her last two records and all those tours and has been in Courtney's band forever. So, you know, they all kind of know each other really, really well. So I think their working relationship probably reflects their their friendship as well. Sure, sure. So I imagine they work things up, but I, I, from what I've been told, these I've got some friends who saw Jen open for Courtney Barnett and Kurt Vile in Los Angeles mm. and said that Jen Cloer held this four and a half thousand seater theatre mm. like spellbound with just alternating between an acoustic guitar and an electric guitar and her own voice and that American audiences who had never seen her before, mm. my two friends, as they left the, the theatre, heard people singing her songs. Magnificent. On, on just one hearing. So... Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm, no, I'm not answering your question. I think I've got a fairly good idea, you know, pretty much. They've been in each other's pocket for a while and they understand what she yeah. wants. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Nice to see all live and local. Great selection of, uh, of albums there. If you had to pick one album outside of Australia that you'd want to sort of nominate, if, you, if I say, right, you have a fourth spot. Actually, you had a fourth and a fifth spot. If, if there was an album outside of Australia that really grabbed you this year, would you be able to name one? Uh, I'd probably go for the St. Vincent album, mm -hmm. uh, Mass Seduction. You dress me up in a nurse's outfit. It rides and sticks to my thighs and my hips. You put me in a teacher's little denim skirt Ruler and desk so I can make it hurt But I keep you Which came out about a month ago Which Annie Clark has inspired me forever I think that every album she's made has been amazing and different to the one that came before I think she's an amazing songwriter, a really gun guitar player knows exactly what she's offering up to the world and which probably you know, I don't want that to come across as though she's completely calculating I'm, I'm pretty sure she gives the world what she wants to give the world and then allows them to make of it what they will these are all fairly very interesting songs and they're open to a multitude of interpretations and the people who write various forms of gossip for a, you know, a variety of outlets have already gone to work on what these songs are about but that in no way detracts from the quality of the music and the creativity operating on mass seduction people have said she's the new bowie in lots of ways and i can understand how people would kind of come to put that title on her work I'd suggest that Björk might have gotten there before her and have a significant claim. Not that it's a competition. I'm also suggesting that um, Annie's new album is my favourite non-Australian album of the year. That's allowing for the fact that then Björk has an album out very, very soon. And I'm always fascinated by what she does. So at, at this particular point right now, I, I would suggest that St Vincent's 
Mass Seduction is my favourite well, Australian release. Well, I'm recording this in uh, mid-November of 2017. The show will be out mid-December, so listeners out there, be aware that Pat may be grooving on Bjork if that comes out by that time. But for the moment, even if you do like um, that album a bit more, this is still something that is very close to your heart, obviously. Indeed. Yeah, mm. very well put, Morris. And thank you for that little kind of get-out clause for me. Really appreciate <laughs> it. I'm here to make the guests feel comfortable, Pat. It's what I do. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right. All right, well, thank you very, very much for uh, sharing with the listeners and listeners out there if um, any of uh, the little music clips that you've heard played or anything that Pat has said has sparked your interest, please go search it out. That's the purpose of this show is to uh, put some things to your attention that maybe you've not heard yet. And I- I'm really, really grateful to uh, Pat and the others for their time in doing so. And I know I'll be definitely following up on some of these albums. And it's probably as good a time as any, Pat, to give the plug. Any of the Melbourne listeners who want to go and get any of these albums or indeed anything else that may be in a reggae vein or in a indie Australian vein, how can they find Rocksteady Records? Well, they can find Rocksteady Records at Level 1 upstairs in Mitchell House which is at 358 Lonsdale Street, just in from the corner of Elizabeth and Lonsdale Streets in the Melbourne CBD. Fantastic. And it's been a good year for you at at Rocksteady? I think so, Morris. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun. I've um, got to play a lot of records and had some really good in-stores and uh, had really good chats with people like yourself across the counter. Mm. Yeah, it's... it's, um, it's been fun, and I, um, I think it's going to be more fun. Let that be the lesson to uh, your listeners. Always go for bricks and mortar. Uh, the man behind the counter is is always there for a good conversation, and you'll learn things that you might not have otherwise known about five minutes before when you entered the store. I know I certainly have. So thanks very much for that, Pat. I really am very grateful oh, for all that you've done. Oh, and not just in Rocksteady, but over over the years at uh, a basement as well. So. It's been, um, cool. it's been well, look, it, it's a two it's a two way thing. I learn as much from customers. Mm. I think in, in fact probably more. It's educational and, and entertaining pretty much every day. All right. Anyway, we'll go back for another break and then come up with whoever I've got lined up next. As I said, November uh, two thousand and seventeen. I've no idea what order I'm going to put these segments in, but um, I'm sure it'll be something entertaining. You're listening to Love That Album episode one hundred and six. We'll be back in a moment. <laughs> Tim and Bernie every month as they discuss music-related movies. iTunes, Facebook or download direct from seehere.podbeam.com The See Here Podcast. It's a blast. Hello out there, welcome back to Love That Album, episode 106. 
And for the final part of this year roundup of favourite first-time listens of 2017, I have got music journalist extraordinaire and a man who hasn't been on the show in a little while. I think I'm going to have to rectify that in 2018 where we cover a specific album. I'm putting him on the spot, but what the hell? I can do that. Mr. Jeff Jenkins, welcome back to Love That Album. It is great to be back. Episode 106. Was mm. I on number one? You were on number one. Are you kidding? Absolutely. We talked. And I said it would never last. You, you did say that <laughs> and it nearly didn't. <laughs> but yeah, we were, we were talking about Bruce Springsteen on episode one and if I recall maybe a couple of episodes later we spoke about the knack we did the knack as well get the knack still mm. one of my favorites yeah good good to hear good to hear so go back to those early episodes i didn't really edit terribly well in those early days so i probably say um and ah a whole lot more than i really need to do but anyway jeff the floor is yours you're here to tell us about your favorite first time listens of 2017 i have no idea whether you've got all 2017 releases or whether you've got some older albums you've heard for the first time. So enlighten us. They're all brand new modes. Starting at number five, and it's I think this guy's a favourite of yours too. It's a bit embarrassing for me, this one, because a lot of people think that we're related because we do have the same surname, but we're not related. I'm just a crazy fan. I am talking about Charles Jenkins and the Chivagos. They put out a brand new album in 2017. Electronic devices have yet to enthrall, like pencil on paper or boot against bone. All the clothes in our summer's day with your mother's dinner call. No electronic devices, none at all. Summer such a great songwriter, a great pop writer, Charles Jenkins. He's never had a top 40 hit, which is a ridiculous thing, but this record, which is called The Last Polaroid, is just a songwriting masterclass. The way he puts words and music together is just genius. And incredible band as well, of course, the great Davy Lane on guitar. The busiest man in Australian rock, it would say. Yeah, him and Ash Naylor. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know how they do it. And, and I, I remember talking to um, Charles about this, and he booked in the launch, and, and he kind of had to book in gigs with the Chivagos sort of six months in advance, because Davy's kind of booked up that far. And he's like, oh, yes, I can do Sunday, September 23rd. <laughs> incredible gig, launch gig as well. Yeah, I, I can't say, you know, too much about this record. It's just a record you've got to listen to and just, you know, absorb the songwriting genius of Charles Jenkins. Just let me ask you this. How do you think he's evolved as a songwriter like over the last few albums so there was the one of a couple of years ago was it too much water under the boat and it was that side project he did i think with um the amateur the amateur historian why was i thinking librarian with with uh, the ex-bass player the ice cream hands as well every album sort of seems to be something a little bit different to the last one from a, a performance perspective and yet the songwriting is still very much charles jenkins yeah, he writes so much about Melbourne, um, but the songs are still universal. And what, what's been really interesting for Charles in the last few years, he has done a lot of uh, teaching songwriting, and he does a program called Push Songs, and uh, a lot of young songwriters 
and he has them, you know, puts them with mentors. So I think that process, and he's also been studying songwriting, I think doing a master's or a doctorate or something in songwriting. So I think he's just really, he's gone to another level just in terms of the songwriting, just because he's really immersed himself in that world for a few years. But yeah, he's one of the greats. If you're living overseas and uh, haven't heard this guy before, check him out. He is genius. And one song I want to highlight too, No Electronic Devices, which I think is a classic on this record. And the cassette's back in a little bit of a way, (laughs) um, which is kind of bizarre. I still have a cassette player in my car. I am so backward, I can't even understand the recording here that we're doing. Um, But in this song, Charles sings about the rewinding of the cassette, the 90-minute TDK, which I just think is, yeah, Beautifully nostalgic and wonderful. I gotta ask you, do you keep a pencil in your car? <laughs> I probably do have one. <laughs> They're always that nightmare when the cassette would go haywire. Right. Like, oh no, what a disaster! And, and you'd be trying to together. <laughs> yes, you can relate to that. No electronic devices. Charles Jenkins and the Chicago's from the album The Last Polaroid. So, what's your number four choice, Jeff? Well, number four, another Melbourne act um, and one of my favourites. And I thought these guys had broken up, but then I was really pleasantly surprised when they reappeared this year. I'm talking about Sand Pebbles and an album called Pleasure Maps. and they'll be kind of mystical and magical but then they'll be kind of mainstream as well so there's so much going on in this record something which kind of bugged me in 2017 i don't know if it was just me but the length of songs quite often i'd sort of you know get a new single from someone and it would be four and a half minutes five minutes or six minutes I don't know whether it's just me and my attention span is getting worse and worse <laughs> as I get older and grumpier, but I'd be kind of like, why is this song four or five minutes? Why isn't it just three minutes? You know, it could be two and a half minutes. There's a songwriter I love, Danny McDonald, who does a lot of power pop, and he's just great in that he, I think his latest single is two minutes, mm. and I just love it. So that's kind of annoyed me a bit this year. With the Sand Pebbles, what I think is great about this record is that they're really incisive and then they're really indulgent. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. There are some songs on this record that are over 10 minutes long. I think half of the album, the songs clock in at more than seven minutes, but the other half, they're quite short and sharp. Mm. So it really worked for me on that level as well, that they were very epic, but also intimate. So a really interesting band, The Sand Pebbles, and the album is called Pleasure Maps. I have to say you're the second person in this wonderful cast of four who's gone and picked the Sand Pebbles as his, uh, in his top five albums of the year, our good friend Ian McFarlane. Oh, wow. He's uh, very, very taken with this album. So, Well, it was very cool for the Sand Pebbles this year because they are featured in the Encyclopedia of Australian Rock and Pop. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a real honour for them. I knew it meant a lot to them. So they'll be even more stoked that Ian Mack has put them in their top five. 
So, your third choice. Number three is an artist from Perth, and her name is Helen Shanahan. I'll take the dirt off my own grave. It was you know, a, a competition. Right? It was a Telstra competition, which is sort of I'm not a big fan of competitions when it comes to music. And um, but the Telstra competition has been a really good one over the years. It's discovered a lot of great songwriters and singers. Was this the road to discovery? Yes, sort of right. Okay. Uh, including Melody Poole, who's one of my favourite artists. Right. And uh, but I was there the night in Melbourne. I think it was a great final when Helen Shanahan was performing, and she got up. And you know when you tell someone is just so nervous and she just seemed so fragile standing there on stage and I just thought, oh, this is not going to go well. Like I was immediately feeling for her. But the moment she opened her mouth, I was just blown away. I was like, oh my God, she is such an incredible singer and these songs are so great. And even though she's still fragile, these songs are sturdy, just and I became a fan within like five seconds. I was like, she is world class. Her debut album came out this year, Helen Shanahan, Every Little Sting. Uh, it's an adult contemporary record, but uh, just a great, great songwriter. Uh, she made the record in Nashville with Brad Jones producing, an American producer who's worked with a lot of Australian artists. He obviously gets Aussie artists. Mm. He's worked with Missy Higgins and Melody Poole and Skipping Bill Vinegar and did a great job with this record as well. A lot of the record is sort of, it's a woman at, at war with herself in a lot of ways, you know, battling anxiety battling sort of depression so the themes are quite dark but it is a pop record and it's a wonderfully warm pop record just superb confessional songwriting i can't recommend helen shanahan and more highly she is just phenomenal huge fan the album's called every little sting and this is with a band or, or just yeah like... there is a band it's very much um you know the focus on her kind of reminds me of lisa loeb i reckon lisa loeb's a wonderful pop songwriter mm-hmm. i hear a lot of lisa loeb and helen shanahan i don't know if helen's really a fan of, of lisa loeb um but i hear that in this record and there is a band but it is quite a you know sort of subtle and i think her husband's in the band as okay. well um, but they really, it really is a showcase for Helen's voice and for her songs, and they're just extraordinary songs. Helen Shanahan. Magnificent. Uh, and uh, you say, so she's performed much in Melbourne? Has she come over to the side of the country? She's come to Melbourne a couple of times, did an album launch in Melbourne this year, which was a really special gig. I, you know, as you know, I'm a huge Essendon supporter. I actually had to leave an Essendon game, but I left quite happily because <laughs> we were beating Geelong. At the MCG, it was Saturday night. We're beating Geelong. I kind of had to, you know, rush off in the third quarter. Nothing drags you out of the football, Jeff. Helen Shanahan does. She is that good. A precedent's been set. <laughs> so, uh, your number two choice for the year. This was a really interesting record. I got this record last summer, so the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Melbourne band called The Harlots, and the album's called Satellite.
one of those records, a mate recommended it to me and said, I, I reckon you might like this. I put it on, start of the year, you're on holidays. I just couldn't stop playing it. I just thought, wow, this record is so great. This record's gonna be so big in 2017. I just felt like I was the first one in on the discovery. And then nothing happened. I don't think anyone kind of got to hear this record, apart from me and my mate, and a few people. Uh, I went to the launch, it was a really great launch, and again, I thought this record's gonna be really big. So to describe the Harlots, when I first heard it, I thought they're like an Aussie version of Arcade Fire and Arctic Monkeys. A lot going on, that kind of manic momentum, mm -hmm. that grand sort of punky sound. Uh, a great singer, a guy called Tom Pitts. There's also a bit of female vocals going on in the record, which I, I just thought added a really great dynamic to this record. A really exciting record. Yeah, as I said, I thought it was going to be big, but like so many things in this music world, they don't kind of work out how we sort of think they're going to work out. Are they still working at the moment? Are they doing anything around the traps? Well, I did say to my mate, I just said, you know, wow, did I get this horribly wrong? And he goes, no, no, I still love this record as well. And I said, well, what are they kind of doing? And he said, the thing about Tom, he's always moved on to another project. So hopefully there'll be more, might not be from the Harlots. I hope there is more from the Harlots, but hopefully he will do other projects. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure he's making music. We're just got to wait and see. But yeah, the Harlots and the album's called Satellite. I just thought it was an absolute cracker. It's such a shame, I guess. In, I've discussed this with other people, both on the show and off the show, whereby you know we live in this day and age where being able to hear new music is probably easier than ever. But there's so much vying for your attention, and you know you could still debate as to how much radio will or won't break an artist. Certainly over here, I think. Well, even if you're not listening to commercial radio. If something gets on the ABC, that gives it some level of exposure. But what's happened this year, I think, was with with Radio National taking down a bunch of music programs. It's making it harder than ever for uh, independent Australian artists. Yeah, it's never been easier to make music. It's never been harder to get that music heard. Yeah. Which is it's great that so many people are making music, but there is probably too much music. And yeah, it is very difficult to break through. Um, and I, I think the Harlots kind of felt that in that they, unless in Australia you get Triple J on board, right. you're going to really struggle. <sighs> I'm depressed now. Okay. But having said that, my number one favourite album of 2017 did get some Triple J exposure Good. and did break through. And the album debuted at number 15 on the ARIA charts, which was a great result. I'm talking about a Melbourne uh, singer-songwriter called Alex Leahy, and the album's called I Love You Like a Brother, which I do not. Oh. You text me at the wheel, which you really shouldn't do, and you know I'll tell you off, even though I do it too. Your disorganized perfectionism is so okay with me. I know life's too short to settle down, and you move faster than the world spins round. It's hard for me to put my arms around you when your backpacks. And I've been following Alex's career uh, since she was in a high school band called Animo. 
who were kind of like a, a funky kind of outfit, you know, a bit of sax going on, whatever. So his solo work is quite different to Animo, but Animo were a really great band as well. With her solo work, she has been compared, of course, to Courtney Barnett, because she's a young woman writing about everyday things, and it is very much a 20-somethings album. But Alex Lady's really got her own thing going on. And for me, it, it sort of recalls that glorious um, 90s slacker pop, which is quite ironic because Alex was born in the 90s, so she didn't experience that the first time <laughs> around. And I guess now it's called millennial angst. Right. Um, it's all that sort of stuff that you know young people are dealing with now, Mo, about you know should I settle down or should I travel? Should I be worried about uh, you know buying a house and, and mortgages or or getting married? All those sort of issues. She deals with it. Uh, on, on this record, but she's such a clever songwriter. She really brings those subjects alive. And it's been great to see Alex Leahy really connect with an audience, not just in Melbourne at home, but all around the world. I've got a mate who lives in New York. He's been to see her a couple of times this year, and so she's been great. You know, just doing club gigs, but she's sold them out. For me in Melbourne, it was so, it's always so great when you see a young artist sell out their first corner hotel show. Right. It's, it's such a landmark in someone's career. And Alex did that this year, did two nights at the corner. It was really, really exciting to see her there. She's a great live artist, but just such a great, clever songwriter. So Alex Leahy, I Love You Like a Brother, my album of the year. Was this her debut album for her in her own name? Or yes. This is right, okay. Yeah, Animo didn't do an album, they might have definitely did an EP, and then Alex, uh, there was a previous EP and a couple of singles leading up to this album. Um, but yeah, a wonderful, wonderful record. Musically, is this the sort of thing that you would have heard and think, I expect that this will do well? I mean, like, you made the prediction about the Harlots, which unfortunately didn't come to being, but... You know, given the environment of, you know, uh, so people like Courtney Barnett, who you made the comparison to doing well, and Jen Cloa, is this the sort of thing that you would have heard independently of, of any knowledge that it did go up the charts? Would you have thought, yeah, yeah, I think that this environment is good for the female singer-songwriter at the moment? I think this will do well? or Yeah, I think it is a great environment. And obviously, Courtney Barnett really blazed that trail. And there are so many wonderful female singer-songwriters in this country. Mm. Um, so, it, yeah, it was sort of a good place. Um, but you still have to be good. Oh, and, sure, sure. And, and still have to have your own thing going on. You don't want to be an imitator, and she's not. So she's just one of those people you see her live, She's great with an audience. She's very articulate. Good storyteller. Good storyteller, which comes across on stage. And this makes that connection with an audience. So you can, it's been a nice thing to see in the past couple of years, just that audience build and build and build. And as I said, the sell out of Corner Hotel in Melbourne is a really significant thing. So it's been great for Alex Leahy. But also it has become a worldwide thing because then straight up the corner and I had a really nice moment in that I met her mum and her auntie at the gig, which was really special. And then as we all walked out together, I was walking down Swan Street and the auntie was with obviously a couple of other relatives and they were sort of saying, oh, well, when are we going to get to see Alex again, you know? And the auntie was like, oh, she'll be back for Christmas. And this was like a few months out from Christmas. She was heading straight off to Europe into America, so she's really putting in the hard yards and just building an audience worldwide. I think 2018 is going to be just as good for Alex Leahy. Hopefully she has a long career ahead of her then. Yeah, I really think she will. Mm. Well, 
normally I would have just said, well, thank you very much for giving us your top five. However, here I am at Casa Jenkins, and I'm looking around and seeing a plethora, I tell you, a plethora of music-related books. And I know that because you are a writer and you write a lot about music, but you also obviously read a lot about music. So I thought for our listeners out there who are so inclined, who want to follow up, can you recommend any great music books? It has been an incredible year for music books, particularly Australian music books. And yeah, I, I do love reading them all. The highlight of the year, and not just as a book, this has been the highlight of my year mm. in total, uh, was Ian McFarlane putting out the second edition of the Encyclopedia of Australian Rock and Pop. I was in at uh, Rocksteady Records the other day, and Pat in there in, in Melbourne in the city has been selling a lot of these. We were just talking about it. And I just looked at it again, and I just said, I am in awe of this book. It is such a hefty tome. Mm. You, you pick it up, and you just it weighs a ton. And But I just look at it and go... I just don't know how Ian, one person could have done this book. I refer to it every day of my life. And speaking of which, that's a nice segue to a book that I edited this year called Every Day of My Life by B. Bertels, of course, from Zoot and a little river band, very well-known artist right around the world. And I was so rapt to have such a small part. B. wrote every single word in this book. But I just gave him a bit of a hand with editing it, just sort of suggesting a few things, going maybe write a bit more about this, maybe cut this out, that type of thing. He was an absolute joy to work with. Be originally from well, from the Netherlands, um, but he came to Australia at the age of 10, grew up in Adelaide, joined a band that became Zoot with Daryl Cotton, who's sadly no longer with us, but then moved to Melbourne. Rick Springfield joined Zoot in Melbourne. They had a huge success as a pop band. Uh, but then his major, major success with Little River Band, six top ten hits in America. I thought this was a really important book because it's the first book by a founding member of Little River Band. So it's great that he's documented his story. And, of course, you know, I don't want to go into it, but all those crazy name dramas, they can't, mm. the founding members can't use the name Little River Band. It's a ridiculous story, but it was great that they got to document that story so people like me, who go, how the hell did that happen? He actually tells that story in this book. But there's so much more to B. Birdle's story than just Little River Band, just those dramas. It's an incredible migrant story to Australia. Um, it's just, yeah, a lovely bloke. So I recommend that book very highly, B. Birdle's Every Day of My Life, because, of course, he did write a song called Every Day of My Life. It was a single for LRB. So I really love that book. I love what the uh, team at Melbourne Books uh, do. Uh, they put out the Jeff Duff book, which I think was last year, but this year they did the Sunbury book, which has just oh, come out, documenting the Sunbury Music Festival uh, in Melbourne from the 70s. So that's a wonderful book as well. Uh, but some of the other books came out this year. Uh, Tim Rogers did a book. Tess Perkins did a book. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Barnes has been, you know, a blockbuster book, which is a really uh, enjoyable book. This book, his first book, Working Class Boy, was his childhood. This book gets into Cold Chisel and the whole solo years called Working Class Man. And he's also very, very funny, Barnsley. He's had, you know, a lot of dramas in his life, which he really documents. But he's such a funny guy as well, which really comes across that sense of humour in the book. So I really enjoyed that book as well. So, yeah, it really has been a fantastic year for music books. There's, just, you know, a few of them that I've enjoyed. Actually, just something else while we've been here speaking, it's also been a fantastic year 
for, well, I mean, generally I think we live in a great age for music-related documentaries. But even here in Australia, we've had the Radio Birdman documentary, we've had the documentary about the go-betweens, and a week ago from when we started recording, the ABC started a two-part mini-series on the life of the Easy Beats. So Australian music has been well covered in the, in the film world. Yeah, and I caught uh, also a Steve Kilby documentary, which was made. Really? Yeah, which was made by the guy who made a Stephen Cummings documentary a few years ago, which I absolutely loved. Um, but the, yeah, the, the Steve Kilby doco this year I saw at the film festival, and I thought that was fantastic as well. And I thought, you know, it's kind of like a cross between. Uh, David Brent and Spinal Tap, but also just a, a musical genius and a great artist. And the church put out a brand new album this year, too, right. which I thought was an absolute cracker. It's probably in my top 10 albums of the year. So I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, great year for music docos. The Go Betweens doco was fantastic as well. Yeah, very much enjoying that Easy Beats miniseries, too. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, thanks so much, Jeff, for joining us on uh, LTA 106. Absolute pleasure, Mike. And we'll have you on for an album dissection sometime in 2018. Let's do it. All right. Anyway, we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Love That Album. Four sets of albums from four fantastic guests on the program. Once again, my thanks to Mr. Billy Pennell, Ian McFarlane, Pat Monahan, and Jeff Jenkins for their thoughts on 2017 first-time listening music favorites. A lot of new material in there, and hopefully you can go and search out their recommendations if anything that you heard sounded interesting to you. And I look forward to having all those gents come back on the program at some time in 2018 just to do a regular type of Love That Album album dissection. Hope you've enjoyed that, and we have another one of these types of programs coming up later on in the month. It'll be the opinions of myself, Eric Reanimator, and Tim Merrill, my co-host from the See Here podcast. Looking forward to divulging our favorite albums of 2017, either new or first-time listens. Now, I think part of what would make the show fun is if I got some recommendations from you listeners, either as written emails or as an MP3 recorded and sent to the email address rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. It doesn't have to be long, just, you know, five minutes of your time record something into a microphone into your computer into your headset it doesn't have to be fancy you don't need some fancy setup like a lot of podcasters do as you can tell from the sound quality of this show i certainly do not have a fancy setup just throw your thoughts into a microphone and send once again to that email address rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au you can talk about just one favorite album of the year you can talk about five as many as you want i'd be happy to include it in the show that will be love that album episode 107 look forward to hearing from you and i look forward to putting out that episode once again as i said earlier on in the show it'll be out sometime between christmas and new year of 2017 if you're not currently a member of the facebook group then you can join up at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash love that album would love to have you join and put down your thoughts about favorite albums of the year or just any other music discussion that you wish to contribute to the group so until it's time for the next podcast please be nice to each other listen to some great music Watch some great films, read some great books, listen to some fantastic podcasts. There's plenty of them out there. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. All the best. Cheers. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.